Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I love you. I miss you. I thank God for you. And I'm grateful that we have this teaching moment where we can share God's word together. But you know something? I, I, I think it's inadequate. I'm grateful that our church offers more, that we have a great teaching pastor in Ray McElroy, and you can join him every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. on Facebook and get his second take. And so please, please do that. You will experience God as you grow in the Word of God. Um, You know, when this first started, this unprecedented season we're going through, I kept thinking to myself, Man, I can't wait till this problem is past. But now, four months into this thing and still uncertain about the future, you know what I've realized? Um, Life sometimes can become a problem that's too hard to solve. Uh, Have you been there? Problems in your marriage that feel too hard to solve problems in your parenting that feel too hard to solve? Um, And you wonder, you know, what do you do? What do you do with your finances when they become problems too hard to solve? Uh, Where is God? Do you ever wonder why he allows these hard, difficult, challenging problems to erupt in your lives? I, I know I've been through seasons like that one was, that stands out in my memory, was 17 years ago. We were crammed into a small car on a dusty, bumpy road in Haiti. Uh, There were five of us, the driver, um, my Debbie and I, Wilkie, whom we were trying to adopt and make our son, and his aunt. She was going like as a witness. She was going with us to the U.S. consulate in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. We were going to meet our our lawyer there, our Haitian lawyer. And... um, The Haitian government had approved the adoption. In Haiti, Wilkie was our son, and we were so excited. I mean, the next step was to get the approval of the U.S. government, and um, it seemed like that would be easy. I mean, we're American citizens. Uh, Our documentation, our dossier was correct and filled out and complete, uh, translated in French and English. We had bribed whoever needed to be bribed on the Haitian side. Now all we needed was the approval of the U.S. government. And so it was about a mile, excuse me, about an hour drive. And that whole hour, I, I, I just prayed to God and praised God. And I remember there were, I was kind of looking out the window and we passed a couple of dead bodies by the side of the road. And I just thanked God that we were getting Wilkie out of such a dark and difficult place. Um, in fact, when we get to the consulate in Port-au-Prince, we're sitting in like an entryway area waiting for our appointment, our names to be called, and I just continue to pray to God and thank him for the victory that he would surely give us. Uh, we were, our names were called. We were ushered into uh, an office, and the consulate officer immediately told us um, that we needed to realize that this adoption would never be approved. And I'm like, what? Why? He said, you folks might as well get on a plane, 
Go back to the U.S. and forget you ever met this boy. We're like, you're kidding me. He's, his adoption has already been approved in Haiti. He's already our son here. I mean, we're responsible for his care, his education, um, to be his family. And this officer, I couldn't believe it. I think my wife wanted to go over the table at him. But, but he says, um, hey, listen, when you get back on that plane, you go back to the States and you leave Haiti, um, no one's going to come after you because people abandon children in Haiti all the time. And that's it. We're ushered out of the office. We're down on the street. I mean, it was like a, a kick in the stomach. We're dazed, but we're back in the car. And now we're being driven to the orphanage, a girl's orphanage where we'd been staying and shocked and staggered. I, I remember going back into that little 12 by 12 uh, concrete block room, so hot, suffocating. Um, and there was a mattress on the floor. That's where we slept. And we just plopped down on that mattress. And on the outside, uh, I got my, my arm over my eyes, but I am just crying. And, and on the inside, I'm railing against God. God, what is up with this? How could this happen? I mean, we're Christians, we're your children, uh, we're Americans. We did what we're supposed to do. We paid thousands and thousands of dollars. What are we going to say to our church people? God, what are we going to do? Why'd you let this happen, God? Why doesn't anything ever work out for me? God, what are we going to do? Now, that was my dark moment of despair. My life had become a problem too hard to solve and too painful to, to process. And, and I'm sure you've been there. Um, you find out that your son's addicted to crack or that your teenage daughter is pregnant. What are you going to do? You find out that there's something wrong with a baby. Just had an ultrasound and they give you the bad news and you were hoping that this little bundle of joy would somehow save your marriage. Now, what are you going to do? I mean, you lost your job. You were already living paycheck to paycheck and, and now the unemployment is running out. What are you going to do? Life can become a, a problem too hard to solve. Too painful to process. And, and, and if you've been there, if you're living there right now, man, uh, this little book written by the brother of Jesus, uh, a, a guy named James, his book is just for you. It's for anybody and everybody who finds their lives as problems too hard uh, to solve, too painful to process. Here's the opening sentence of his book. When trouble of any kind, when trouble of every kind comes your way, surrounds you, consider it an opportunity. Are you kidding me? An opportunity to what? To lose your mind? To cry your eyes dry? To get angry and frustrated? To want to give up? What kind of opportunity? Here's how James continues to write. It's an opportunity to embrace the wisdom of God. James writes like this. If you want to know what God wants you to do in your problem that's too hard to solve, too painful to process, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. 
He will gladly tell you. God is always willing to give you a bountiful supply of wisdom. He gives this gift to all who ask him. It's as simple as that. But when you ask him, be sure that you are really expectant. Be sure you really expect him to tell you. For a doubtful mind will be an unsettled wave, like a wave on the sea, driven and tossed in this direction and that by the wind. Every decision you then make will be uncertain. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in that space? Every decision, you're not quite sure how this is going to work out. In fact, you turn this way and that way, making decision after decision, correcting yourself, correcting course because of your uncertainty and your insecurity. James goes on to write, if you don't ask God with faith, don't expect the Lord to give you any solid answer. Don't expect him to give you anything. Now, there's lessons that immediately jump out that I've learned for my life and that I wanted to share with you. And the first lesson is this. God, when, when, we have, when our lives have become a problem too hard to solve, too painful to process, God has actions. God desires for us to take specific actions. And it's not just what he wants us to do that's gonna get us past the problem, that's gonna help us overcome, it's how he wants us to do it. God has a plan for us to execute, and get this, this is awesome, God will give you everything you need to succeed. He's got actions for you to take, he's got a plan for you to execute, get you past the problem, help you overcome, and he's gonna give you along the way everything you need to succeed. That's God's heart to us, but as James continues to write, we uncover our responsibility to God. What are we responsible for? God says, here's what I'll do. I'll give you everything you need to succeed. I'll give you actions to take, a plan to execute, and here's what I want you to do. Number one, we must be willing to do what God wants us to do. No matter how crazy it may seem, no matter how off the charts it may be, if God says it, we do it, that settles it. Number two, we must have a keen sense of expectancy that we look to tomorrow with great hope, that we anticipate that God is at work to our good, that we anticipate that God makes everything beautiful and it's time that we anticipate that God is able to do abundantly, exceedingly, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. We have this keen sense of expectancy, but also because it's a journey, because it takes time, because it unfolds. We need unwavering faith. No matter how circumstances appear, no matter how long it takes, no matter what comes against us, we need unwavering faith. And finally, we need the humility to ask God for wisdom. Now, personally, a slice of scripture that has taught me more about wisdom than any other uh, practical wisdom and practicing wisdom comes from Ephesians chapter one. I often pray this prayer of Paul for myself and pray it for you. And here's how Paul prays. I keep asking that the glorious father may give you 
the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of wisdom. That's God's wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That means like flooded with light in order that you may know the hope that you would experience the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power by which he raised Jesus from the dead. The same power God used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to you and I. And so out of this text, I find three wisdom truths. Number one, Wisdom. When we get wisdom from God, we actually experience God himself. We experience all that is God. Primarily, we experience his love. We experience his joy. We experience his peace as we come to grips with the fact that our God has actions for us to take. We can follow directions. That he has a plan for us to execute and that he's going to give us everything that we need to succeed. Oh my gosh, our hearts swell with gratitude. Our hearts swell with love and joy. And peace. But, but check this out. Wisdom is also an experience of God's hope. Now you know everything's going to work out to your good. Now you know no matter how ugly it feels in the moment, he's got a beauty out there in your future. He's going he's gonna to do transformative work. And so you just keep hoping. You keep hoping. You keep hoping. This is not a flimsy hope. You anchor all your life, all your emotion, all your dreams on this hope, and you don't let go of hope. And wisdom truth number three, you actually experience God's incomparably great power. Now, I find this greatly illustrated. You've got to understand that James, who writes this little book, he's an Old Testament guy. He knew the Old Testament backward and forward, had memorized much of it. The people who are reading this letter for the first time, they're Old Testament people. They know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And so what? There's an Old Testament story that illustrates for me how we can integrate these wisdom truths in our lives, how we can appropriate from God, all that we need to succeed, the, the actions and the, the plan to execute. And it's a story from 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's a story of David. Remember David and Goliath? Well, now he's older. In fact, he's leading a little army of 600 men. And here's how the story opens in 1 Samuel 30. David and his men reached Ziklag. Ziklag was their home. It was their, their village. It's where their families lived. It's where they had their possessions and their herds and flocks. It's where they made their life. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now on the third day, that strikes a chord in the heart of a believer because we know that our Jesus, though executed brutally on a bloodstained cross on a Friday. On the third day, Sunday, Jesus is risen from the dead victorious. And so when we see that phrase on the third day, to us that means hope. To us that means the miraculous. To, to us that means now God, his incomparably uh, great power has been at work and the beautiful and the bountiful unfolds for a person's life. In fact, for the last two and a half years, my Debbie and I, have been praying every night that we pray to appropriate the supernatural power of God for our lives, our finances, our relationships, our children, their children, this power of God that is beyond 
compare. Well, what happens um, for David, of course, and his little army the third day didn't mean what it means to us as Christians. It was pointing toward Jesus, that he would die on the cross, that he would be risen from the dead. But for David, it meant three days of hard riding and exhaustion and three days of dreaming about getting home, of dreaming about a comfortable bed and a hot meal, and more importantly, about family, children, wives coming around and embracing and welcoming this little army home. But on that third day, the dreams turned to dust and, and ash because they saw the smoke before they saw the town. They saw it off in a, in a distance, and as soon as they saw it, they kicked their horses into a, a high gallop. And as they rode into their village of Ziklag, it was gone. It was burned to the ground. Nothing was left, and no one was left. While they had gone off to do their thing, leaving their village unprotected, Amalekite raiders had come in and destroyed the whole place, burned it to the ground, stolen every woman and child and, and hauled them off into slavery, took all the flocks, took all the herds, took anything of value. And as uh, this little army rode into the main street of this burned down village and stirred up ash and dust, smoke, the soldiers dismounted. They collapsed to the ground. They lifted their heads toward heavens and just screamed out their pain. They dropped their faces in their hands and wept and wept. Their hearts were broken. And the Bible says they wept and wept until they could weep no more. And man, they went from sad to mad just like that. They wanted to kill David. Here's what the Bible says. David was greatly distressed because the men, his soldiers, were talking of stoning him. And this wasn't recreational. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But look at this. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Oh my gosh. His family was gone. His flocks and herds stolen. His possessions taken off. His place burned to the ground. But all of his men are ready to kill him. But where does David go for strength? David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, how do you do that? When life is a painful problem, a problem too hard to solve, too painful to process, how do you get strength? When you feel like you're at the end of yourself, how do you get a strength from the Lord? Well, we can do it just as David did it. And he did it in the same way that we've learned already in this brief talk I've given you. Check it out. Number one, he understood God's heart that God has actions he wanted David to take. This is how you find strength in the Lord. You understand God's heart, that he has actions he wants you to take, that he literally has a plan for your marriage, a plan for your finances that you can execute. And he will give you everything that you need to succeed. Number two, you understand your responsibility. First, that you just do what God says to do. Second, that you have this keen sense of expectancy that everything's going to work for the good. And you have this unwavering faith. 
that no matter what things appear, God is going to act. In fact, he is going to act by his incomparably great power. And you humbly ask God then for wisdom. And when you get wisdom, you experience God. His love, his peace, his joy. When you get wisdom, you experience hope. And that hope anchors you. When you get wisdom, you experience personally, deeply in your life, you experience the miracles set free by the incomparably great power of God. And so here's what David does. He asks God. That's what the text says. David asks the Lord, hey, should I chase, chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him specifically, yes, here's the plan. Go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And so guess what David does? He gets up off his knees. He dusts off his robes, climbs back on his horse, and his soldiers do the same. Just as they went from sad to mad just like this, now they see that their leader is obeying God, and they're going to obey him as well. So David and his 600 men set out. You see, when you have a financial problem too hard to solve, you just do what God's word says about finances. And you keep doing what God's word says about finances. And when you've got marital problems that feel too painful to process and, and too hard to solve, you do what God's word says about marriage. Husbands, love your wives. The Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, love your husbands as the Lord. That's the solution to every struggle, every painful problem. God's got the answer right here. He'll give you the actions to take, the plan to execute, and everything you need to succeed. And you show unwavering faith that God will do what God has promised to do because here's what happens. As David leads his force, uh, they get to a point, I mean, they're all tired, they're all exhausted, they're all spent, but 200 of the men give up. They stop, they quit. They're not going any further. That's one-third of his fighting force, and they are facing this incredibly formidable foe. But a third of his army cashes in. They're not going another step further. But here's what happens. Word of God says, David found the Amalekites. They're spread out across the field. They're, they don't have a perimeter established. Uh, there's no guards. They're not in military position. They, they don't have a, a defensive uh, posture. They're just partying. They're eating. They're getting drunk. They're drinking. They're dancing with joy because of the vast amounts of plunder. Well, David and his men, they rush in, slaughter them, and David gets back everything they had taken, all their families, all their flocks, all their herds, all their belongings. See, our God is faithful. It's not that we're so smart or we're so cunning or we're so able. It's that our God keeps his word. He gives us actions to take, gives us a plan to execute, gives us everything that we need to, to, to succeed. And, and, and then we just do what he says, expecting victory with unwavering faith, trusting in the goodness of our God. Uh, what, what God did for David, he wants to do for you. I mean, he did it for me on that dark day of despair 17 years ago. Um, 
laying down on that mattress on a concrete floor, I, I rolled over on my side and saw my Bible right beside the, the mattress. I wiped the dirt off of it, picked it up, opened it up, and I began to read. And, and I began to pour my heart out to God. And as I bared my soul to God, he filled my soul. He restored my soul. He replenished the inner parts of my heart with hope and love and joy and peace. And guess what? He gives actions to take and a plan to execute and everything Deb and I needed to succeed. Well, we get up off that mattress. We get to the airport, we get back to the States, and we stay after, we continue to do what God had told us to do in the first place, stay after the process of the adoption until Wilkie is your son. And it was hard. It was really hard. In fact, my Debbie lived in Haiti for like nine months. But 10 months almost to the day from when we were denied, we're standing once again in the U.S. Embassy. And another embassy official, is across an office from us. This man has sworn that he will personally make sure that Wilkie is never allowed to, to leave Haiti. <laughs> but God is at work, and it's seemingly almost against this man's will, he signs the papers. He approves the adoptions. Wilkie is our son. You see, when, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what God is doing, when life is a problem too hard to serve and too painful to process, follow the counsel of James. If you want to know what God wants, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you, for he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask. So that's what we're going to do right now as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, you have your elements, the the bread and the juice. And we're going to say we're sorry to God for when we tried to go in our own wisdom, try to work our own plans, when we took actions that backfired in our face and made matters worse. And now we're going to humbly listen to him. So if you'll take the piece of bread, I'll pray over you right now. Our Father, um, we do ask that you bless this bread. We thank you for it. We thank you for all that represents the body of Jesus given as a sin offering to pay for all of our mistakes. And Lord, as we get ready to eat it together, we just say we're sorry for when we tried to do life on our own, by our own wisdom. And we're asking you right now, right now, Lord, humbly, we're asking for your wisdom. Lord, what do you want us to do? And we're, we're expectant. We're trusting that we'll hear from you, Lord. We're, we're trusting, Lord, with unwavering faith that you'll give us everything we need to succeed. And now if you take the cup and let me pray over the cup. Our Father, I pray that as our people drink the blood of Christ, that you will give them each the spirit of wisdom and revelation, one, to know you better, that you would flood the eyes of their heart with light, that they would know the hope to which you've called them and the incomparably great power to know it, to experience it, by which you raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, if, if you can raise Jesus from the dead, you can give us everything we need to succeed. We praise you, Lord. We see that your plans are good and we'll execute them. We know that the actions that, that, that you call us to trigger you working out everything, making everything beautiful in its time, and we thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen. I love you guys. And again, I encourage you guys to tune in again on Wednesday evening at 7. Take advantage of Ray's dynamic teaching as he communicates the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.